This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Well, the text on which the teaching is based this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, and we will begin reading there on page 864 if you're using one of the Bibles in your rows. If you'd like to follow along as I read, it's also printed for you in the bulletin. Again, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Morning and who day has become our new tradition. I will say, I'm actually surprised at how many of you came out today to worship, just given the snow. Um, I will say, if you're here to pray for the Bengals or get favor for win, like, that's not how it works. So um, we can talk about that later. But we're glad you're here, despite the weather. Uh, my name is Michael Prevatera. I'm uh, one of the pastors here and serve as the campus minister at Xavier University. Uh, we are really glad you're here this morning. And we are continuing through our uh, Luke's Gospel this morning in our series through the Gospel of Luke, and picking up basically right where we left off last week. Um, and our passage today is about a weird dinner party, uh, where things get awkward, and the uninvited guest became the guest of honor. And I don't know if about you, if you've ever been to a family gathering, or a party, or something like that, where things got really awkward, or weird, or uncomfortable, uh, this is kind of what's going on here in today's passage. Let me pray for us, and we're going to dive right in. Father, um, 
We do thank you just that we can gather in your presence this morning under your word, uh, despite the weather, despite the snow, um, that you have called us in at from the cold and welcomed us. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and to see the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so dinner party. Jesus had been ministering near the Sea of Galilee and gets invited to one of the houses of the local Pharisees. Um, and now the Pharisees, you've probably heard of these folks, we've talked about them a lot, but they were the religious zealots in Israel. They were the devoted ones, the fundamentalists, the church people, the evangelical Christians, if you will. Uh, they were determined to avoid repeating the mistakes of their ancestors, and so they doubled down on trying to keep God's ways. And they even created traditions to be kind of like a guardrail, so they wouldn't even get close to breaking God's law. And so this man, Simon, who we meet, was a pretty-together, religiously observant guy. In fact, his name in the Hebrew it comes from Simeon or Shimeon. Um, it actually means obedient. Means to hear, to listen. Uh, he is one who listens. Simon goes to worship the synagogue regularly. He goes to temple regularly. He's scrupulous about keeping kosher and saying his prayers. And he goes out of his way to avoid the unclean and those who don't do these things. Well, why did Simon and the other and the Pharisees do this? You might be asking. Well, they were hoping for the redemption of Israel. They were waiting for God to send a rescuer who would kick out the Romans who were occupying Israel at the time. In other words, they were hoping for the Messiah. And the Pharisees hoped that God might do this because of their obedience to his covenant. So it was kind of all wrapped up with, if we show ourselves to be faithful, God will send the Messiah. And so Simon hears about this teacher, Jesus, who is healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, raising the dead, and wonders, could he be the Messiah? And so even though the Pharisees were very careful about who they ate with, he decides he's going to spend some time with Jesus uh, and, and have him over for this dinner party, and probably hoping that by spending some time with Jesus, he might be able to figure out if he really was the one they'd been waiting for. Similar to John's questions last week, John the Baptist's question last week. Um, and after all, surely if he is the Messiah, he would be, Jesus would be glad to be in the house of one so faithful as Simon. Right? He's thinking this. And so he has Jesus over for a dinner party. And then, bam, right in the middle of this dinner party, this woman barges in. Now, Luke tells us that she's a woman of the city who was a sinner. And that's, that's a nice way of saying she's probably a harlot or a prostitute. In other words, she's not the kind of woman who would normally get invited to a dinner party at the local Pharisee's house. And she's not normally showing up to worship She's not normally showing up to the women's ministry events at the local synagogue either. And that's because she's not welcome, right? And because of her profession, right? The law said very clearly that prostitution was not to be something that God's people would be involved in. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, says in Deuteronomy. And faithful Jewish men were not to marry or associate with women like that. It's not really that different from today, honestly, if you, if you think about it. But this woman had heard about Jesus. Maybe she'd heard his preaching or witnessed some of his miracles even. And she's heard, she's at Simon's, and she has got to see Jesus. And so she, makes a, she barges into the, his house, and she makes a beeline 
for Jesus. And we see a kind of a picture. This is Peter Paul Rubens. Um, this is not actually accurate. Jesus brought, he says, Luke says he's reclining at table, right? So he would have been laying down. His feet would have been out. Uh, and so this is just an interpretation of the story, but it's a beautiful painting nonetheless. But she, she barges in, and she's kind of a hot mess, to be honest. Like, she, this woman is overcome with emotion and weeping, and then her tears are, she's, she's, are falling on Jesus' feet, and she's embarrassed, and she's like, oh, crud, I didn't mean to do that. And then she takes her hair, and she tries to clean up the mess that she's made. And then she's just so happy to be near Jesus, and she starts kissing his feet, which are filthy and dirty and covered with, you know, who knows what, because it's first century, there's no indoor plumbing, there's animals everywhere, right? His feet are, are kind of gross. Uh, but she doesn't care, and she pulls out this expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet and is both weeping and worshiping at the same time. And this is where things get really interesting, actually. Because Simon is standing there watching this go down in his house, and he is, you can imagine, mortified. Because he is thinking, what is going on? What is she doing here, right? She doesn't know, doesn't Jesus know what kind of woman she is? I thought he was a prophet. I didn't invite her. And Jesus looks right at Simon and says, Hey, Simon, I've got something to tell you. And Simon, in his shock, responds, Okay, go for it, Rabbi. Let's let's see what you have to say. And he's not sure what's coming next. And then Jesus tells Simon this hypothetical story about two people who are both in debt. One guy has two months' worth of pay he owes, and the other has a debt that equals 20 months of pay. So a denarius, we talk about the denarii, denarius was about one day's pay. So one, one guy is in two months' worth of debt, the other is in 20 months' worth of pay, debt. And one day out of the blue, their lender decides he's going to forgive both the debts. And Jesus asked Simon, which one do you think will be more excited about and thankful for that debt forgiveness? And Simon, still trying to figure out what the heck is going on in his dinner party, uh, is like, um, I guess the one with the bigger debt? And Jesus says, exactly, Simon. You see this woman at my feet? The one who everyone is staring at and, and questioning and the one who's causing a stir? She has been forgiven many, many sins. And so she is very, very grateful And that's why she's doing what she's doing. She loves me so much because she's been forgiven much. And he looks at Simon and says, but you, Simon, you've done nothing for me. Not even the basic hospitality. You didn't even give me water to wash my feet off. You've shown me no honor, no love. And that's because you think that you don't have much you need to be forgiven for. Are you really that good and righteous? And Jesus looks at the woman and says... Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And now, um, like everyone at the dinner party, you might be saying, um, what just happened here? And they, the, the crowd asks this question. Those, the other guests at the party says, who is this Jesus? And that's a really good question. It's actually the question Luke is trying to answer for us in a roundabout way. You know, when you read the Bible... Um, the authors very rarely tell you their point in bold letters. You have to sort of sit with the story and discern what's going on. And this question, who is Jesus, is what Luke is getting at. Well, just a few chapters earlier, Jesus had told us, the re- our re- Luke's readers, and also the Pharisees, who he was and why he was spending time with people like this woman 
and not with people. Like Simon, he said, I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's who Jesus is. That's kind of one of Jesus' many mission statements that he gives in the Gospels. This is who he is. He didn't come for those who think they're doing okay. He didn't come for those who think they have it all together. Jesus said, I didn't come for the most disciplined or the most organized or the religious. I didn't come for the Pharisees or people like Simon. Now, if we're honest, a lot of us are probably a lot more like Simon than we are like the woman. Or at least we act like it, right? We pretend like we have perfect lives and perfect families and perfect marriages and perfect houses. And some of us may even believe that we've arrived. Right? Maybe we were once desperate for Jesus at some point, but now we're doing okay. You know, we're not, not as bad as we used to be. We don't sin as much as we used to be. We're okay. And so either we either put on this fake veneer of holiness and perfection and to get put togetherness, or we're completely deluded and we think we're actually doing great. Well, if that's you, Jesus has some bad news for you. He says, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for those kind of people or those who pretend or think they're righteous. The scriptures make it clear. If you think that you are righteous or you're doing okay or you're walking in God's ways uh, and, and you think you're better than other people, you are lying to yourself and to others and to God. The point of following God is not to get a bunch of rules for getting your life together. That's an exercise in missing the point. In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees and those who had these opinions, he, he said, they're like children of Satan. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. That's what Jesus thinks of Simon's law-keeping and keeping up appearances, right? Simon looks really good. He looks like he's doing all the right things. He looks like he's got his life together. But it's just death and pride and hypocrisy wrapped up in a bow. He's so deluded, he even thinks he's too good to show Jesus just basic welcome. And you know what? This is kind of one of the big reasons people point to when they say why they don't like Christians, right? Um, They often can smell our hypocrisy and self-righteousness wafting off us. That's the thing. It's like, you know, you say, people say, like, you Christians say you love everybody, but look at all the bad stuff you do. You Christians say you love Jesus, but you don't act like him. Remember Jesus' story about the debtors they told earlier? Notice something. Both characters in that story are in debt. Right? No one in the story is said to be in the black. Yes, two months worth of debt is better than 20 months, but it's still debt. Right? No one walks around, or you shouldn't walk around and say, yeah, I haven't paid my bills for two months. It's okay. It's only two months. But the point is, it's still debt. You still haven't paid your bills. Right? It's not good. Neither one of these situations is good. One's certainly worse than the other, but neither is good. And this is Jesus' point. All of us are in debt before God. Right? Pretending like we, we are not or it's not that big of a deal doesn't change anything. 
And, and we all know this. All you have to do is, is, is look at the news on any given day to see hypocrisy and betrayal and all sorts of evil, evil committed by all sorts of people. Pretending like you have it together or are doing okay is just denial. Uh, you are like, at that point, the person who's drowning at sea, or you're out in the middle of the ocean, and someone throws you a life preserver, and you grab onto it. And in response, once you get pulled to safety, you're, you're like the person that says, did you see how I grabbed onto that life preserver? Like an expert? Did you notice the strength of my biceps and the dexterity of my wrists? I was all over that thing. All right, that kind of person misses what has happened in that situation. Right? They were drowning, and they were rescued. And that sort of attitude, Jesus tells us, leads to, that not to love and mercy and kindness toward others, but judgment. He said, he is forgiven little, loves little. Right? I was able to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I was able to grab onto that life preserver. So should everyone else. I mean, look at Simon's response. He says, doesn't Jesus know what kind of woman she is? How could he let her touch him? I won't let her even get near me. Simon was in debt as well, just like the woman. But he was too blinded by his own pride to see it. He can't understand why this woman is worshiping Jesus like this because he doesn't think he needs a rescuer. He's got it, even though he's in debt. And that's the warning in the Gospels to us. If you think that you have it all together or that you can get your act together enough to clean yourself up or you look in judgment on other people and think they just need to be better or do better, Jesus says, I have nothing to do with you. Is that you? Ask yourself that. Is that me? Jesus didn't come for the righteous. Who is Jesus? Jesus came for the sinners. He came to forgive sins. He came for that kind of woman in the story. He came to rescue those whose lives are a mess, those who are struggling, those who are despairing, those who can't stop doing all the things that they swore they would stop doing, uh, those whose lives are full of hurt and pain and trauma and deep despair. Jesus came for those who don't have it together and know they're drowning at sea and are sick of pretending like they have to have it together. Is that you? The good news, Jesus came for you. Are you full of shame? Have you been hiding because you think you have to have it together when you step into this building? Jesus welcomes you today. He invites you to come near to him. He's okay if you sob and blubber all over his feet. He doesn't care what the good religious people think because he didn't come for them. He came for the desperate and the dirty and the filthy and the failures and the untouchables, the ones who've been used and abused and feel beat up and ashamed, the one the church people call sinners. You know, in English, we've, we've loaded the word sin, sinner up with all sorts of baggage, right? We think bad people and evil people and those who really like chocolate or whatever. Um, but in Greek, the word simply means one who misses the mark. One who keeps missing the mark. It's not good to miss the mark, but it means one who misses the mark. And Jesus said the ones who keep missing the mark are the ones he welcomes in. In Matthew 21, verse 31, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes 
Go into the kingdom of God before the Pharisees. So if that's you, it's okay. Jesus says you're in the right place, and you get it. Right? Knowing the depth of your brokenness and pain and feeling shame, hating your sin, owning it, means you get it. And you get what Jesus has done for you. And then, therefore, you know how to love. You know how to celebrate. You know how to worship. It means you understand the love and forgiveness of God on a level that the self-righteous never can. And you can have mercy on those who are also in the same spot. Right? We live in this world that is so toxic and full of images of perfect people and beautiful people and successful people and perfect lives, and it's all a lie. It's all a lie. It's just like wallpapering a crypt. We see it all around us every day. And it's exhausting, isn't it? Like when you see these images of people who have it together, does it make you happy? Or does it make you feel guilty? Or sad or ashamed? Right? It doesn't lead to death. It doesn't lead to life. Uh, and too often the church is like that, a showcase of perfect people and perfect saints. But it's not true. Right, Psalm 142.3 says um, those kind of people don't exist. No one living before God is righteous. No, not one. Right? It's not true. In fact, I'm, I myself am a mess. I'll be honest about that. I get mad at my kids and my wife. I yell when I should be patient. I'm judgy. I eat my feelings all the time, and then I feel bad about it, and so i got to go to the gym and work it out so that I look good so people will like me, but I'm bald, and I'm getting old, and I procrastinate, and I don't have a five-year plan or a vision board, and i got all kinds of envy and pride and lust and anger and greed and laziness, and you name it. That's me. Sam Shoemaker, who was in the, one of the, uh, an Episcopal priest who helped develop the 12 steps of AA, he said, everyone either has a problem is a problem, or lives with a problem. And I have all three, right? I am a problem, I have lots of problems, and I live with problems. Not my family members, some days, but I love them nonetheless. And I really need Jesus. That's all I want, to be near Jesus. Because I cannot get myself together. In fact, I need God to save me from myself. There's an AA saying, Alcoholics Anonymous saying, it goes like this. Every morning I wake up, look the enemy dead in the eye, and then I shave him. Right? Look in the mirror and see yourself. I am my own worst enemy. I'm in debt. I'm a sinner. But so often, I believe this lie that God wants nothing to do with messes like me. Is that you? That's me. But look at this story, right? Look at the story again. The opposite is true. Me and you with the messes are the ones that Jesus delights in. We are the ones that he can work with. Did you see that? Did you believe that? We talk about sin all the time in this church, which is good and right. And we just did a confession of sin this morning, right? But functionally, how are you living? It's easy just to say what's on the screen and, and to say that, but how are you living, right? Did you walk in here today thinking you're a sinner, in desperate need of help? Or did you walk in thinking, you're a pretty decent person looking to improve your life. I think you got, you got most things covered. You screw up a little bit, but you're okay. Honestly, where are you today? 
This, is, this passage is a great chance for you to take a stock of your life and where you are and examine your heart. If you think you're doing okay, let this passage serve as a warning. Right? You are like Simon, and you don't get it. And you need to turn away from this kind of thinking and turn back to Christ and, and to repent of your goodness and your righteousness. But if you know that you need God to save you from yourself, then good news. Right? As the hymn goes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, witnessing all of this, those at the table had another question. Not only who is Jesus, but how is this possible? It's verse 49, it said, Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this who welcomes sinners? How can he welcome sinners? Who, who, who is this who tells those who think they're righteous but aren't that they need to repent? Who is this who even forgives sins? Well, he's the one who pays the debt. Right? Jesus paid it all. He's the one who forgives sins because he's the only one who's able to cancel the debt and pay for it with his own blood. In Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul writes, And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This Jesus set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Christ took all of the shame our sins deserve and all the punishment our sins deserve and all the scorn our sins deserve upon himself on a hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He died the death that we ought to die and lived the life that we ought to live. And now we stand before God, completely exonerated of all guilt and treated as though our life is perfect and righteous as Christ's own perfect one. When God sees you, he sees the goodness of Christ. And if you accept that and embrace that and put your hope in that and not your own busyness and getting things together and getting your life right. Jesus says to you today, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Right, that's it. Your mess doesn't define you. Your debt has been forgiven on the cross and you can be completely honest about it with other people. And knowing how deeply you've been forgiven leads to a deep love not only of Jesus but kindness and patience and gentleness to those whose lives are messy and ugly, right? Maybe your neighbor, maybe your kids, maybe your friends, right? It shouldn't lead us to pride and self-righteousness, but great love and kindness. And yes, God is still at work, right? Through his spirit to bring us life and freedom and to change us, and we want to grow into more and more of this identity. Um, and we see this even in this woman, right? This woman was set free. Go in peace, Jesus says. And one of the amazing traditions of the ancient church is that the woman in this story is actually Mary Magdalene. Mary, if you know the rest of the Gospels, who became a follower of Jesus, one of the most devoted followers apart from the disciples. Mary Magdalene, one of the few people who didn't abandon Jesus as he was executed on the cross. She stood at the foot of the cross with his mom and John, Mary Magdalene. 
Mary Magdalene, who was one of the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection on the third day and who ran to tell the other disciples that the Lord was alive. Mary, a former prostitute who became one of the most devoted and important followers of Jesus. The fact that we still talk about her 2,000 years to go today. The one who's forgiven much loves much. And so if you're here this morning and you're a great sinner, be encouraged because you have an even greater Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ who sets captives free. Go in peace. Your sins have been forgiven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I confess that so often we, I and all of us come to you and we think we got to have it all together and we think, you know, if we don't come to you just <laughs> having had our quiet time or reading our Bibles enough or being nice enough or giving enough or whatever it might be, Lord, we think that you don't want anything to do with us. And yet, Lord, your word shows us over and over again that that's not true. Lord, that you, you welcome us in. You're okay with us getting near you. You're okay if we cry all over your feet. And you say, you welcome us, and you say, go in peace. Lord, I pray you'd help us all to know this more, to repent of our, our goodness and our righteousness, and to simply trust in you and draw near to you, knowing that you welcome sinners. You're not called to come to righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so, Lord, we pray you do that. We ask this in your mighty name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.